Hello, this is Darrell Bloodworth of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida. Uh, this is a continuation of our study of the Gospel of John. This is Lesson 12, and we are in Chapter 11. This chapter recounts the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which is the climax of all of the miracles performed by Jesus. As we will also see, it's the final act by Jesus that led the highest court in the land, the Sanhedrin court, to decide to have Jesus killed. This chapter is one of the most profound in all of Scripture. It shows both the power of Christ's divinity, but also his humanity as he grieves over the death of his dear friend. We pick up the story with verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. But they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Bethany is a small village, only about two miles outside the walls of Jerusalem. And it was in this small town that Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, lived. At some point they had come to know Jesus, believe in him, and become good friends with him. Jesus had apparently stayed in their home, as is recorded in the 10th chapter of Luke. And it's obvious that he was close to them. John identifies Mary as the one who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume, although that story isn't told until the next chapter in the Gospel of John. When Lazarus becomes seriously ill, the sisters immediately send a message to Jesus saying simply, The one whom you love is ill. Note the message doesn't ask Jesus to come heal him. That's likely because Bethany is in Judea, just outside Jerusalem. At the end of the last chapter, we saw that Jesus was a wanted man in Judea. It was not a safe place for him to go. Although the sisters clearly hoped Jesus would come to heal Lazarus, they didn't want to put Jesus' life in danger by demanding that he come. When Jesus receives the message, he tells the disciples the illness won't lead to death. 
he repeats the statement he made about the man born blind, namely that this is an illness that will reveal the glory of God. John informs us that although Jesus loved them, he then remained two days longer where he was. This should remind us that although God does answer our prayers, he doesn't always do it on our schedule. Jesus had his reasons for delaying, and there were benefits to Lazarus as well as to Jesus' followers in the delay. For Lazarus, he would never fear death again after being raised from the dead. As for Jesus' followers, this miracle should have removed any remaining doubt they may have had about Jesus. So after the two-day delay, Jesus announces to his disciples he is ready to return to Judea. And he gets the response from his disciples one should expect, given the events in the last chapter. They are trying to kill you in Judea. Are you seriously considering going back there? Jesus responds with another figure of speech, referring to 12 hours of daylight in which people can walk without stumbling. When the night comes, walkers stumble because there is no light. This appears to be another way of Jesus saying he is the light of the world, and he must do God's will while he is among them. Jesus then directly responds and says Lazarus is asleep, which they take literally and try to use as an excuse to convince Jesus not to go back to Judea. He then plainly tells the disciples that Lazarus is dead, but adds that he's glad he didn't go back to heal Lazarus for their sake, hinting that something greater than healing a disease is on the horizon. Obviously, the disciples still didn't want to go back, But it's Thomas who gloomily speaks up and says, let's go with him so we may die with him. Thomas has been labeled as doubting Thomas because he doubted the initial reports of Jesus' resurrection. But as these verses show, he should also be recognized as courageous Thomas because he was the one who led the disciples to decide to follow Jesus to what they all thought would likely be death. Let's continue now with verses 17 through 27. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. The Jewish burial custom was to put the body in a tomb as soon as possible after death, usually the same day or the day thereafter. 
after about a year, when all that was left of the body was bones, the bones of the deceased would be cleaned and then put in an ossuary, which is a large jar designed for holding bones, and there the bones would remain. Relatives and friends would be in heavy mourning for seven days following death, and then lighter mourning for 30 days thereafter. So Jesus arrives four days after Lazarus was put in the tomb and in the midst of heavy mourning. Martha's the first to learn of Jesus' arrival nearby. Jesus probably wanted to speak to her apart from the mourners present, and so Martha goes to meet him. Her greeting shows her faith, but, but it's a little accusatory. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Remember, she did not ask him to come, but clearly she expected him to come, despite the risk he would be taking by going into Judea again. But she does add in faith that even now God would do whatever Jesus asked of him. Jesus assures her that Lazarus would rise again, but she assumes he means at the final judgment, the last day. Jesus responds with words that would have astounded anyone who heard them. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. Jesus is saying as clearly as can be said that he alone has control over who lives and who dies for all eternity. And he assures us that all who believe in him will live. In other words, they will be resurrected. Martha makes a profession of faith in him and then leaves to go get her sister Mary. So we pick up with verses 28 through 37. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So as we see from Scripture, uh, Martha's uh, sister Mary had remained at the house while Martha went to meet uh, Jesus. Martha is now returned and meets with Mary privately away from all the mourners to tell her Jesus has arrived and wants to see her. Jesus has remained away from the house, probably so he could meet with Martha and Mary privately, away from all the hullabaloo of the, of the mourners. Mary then leaves the house to meet with Jesus, and the mourners see her leaving and followed her. When she meets Jesus, she drops to her knees and makes the same accusation Martha had made. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died, as she continues to weep. These verses portray the humanity of Jesus as well as any verses of Scripture. 
Jesus knew he was there to raise Lazarus from the dead, which would bring glory to himself and to the Father, and should strengthen the faith of all the disciples. Yet as he looks at Mary weeping and the other mourners weeping over the loss of their brother and friend, John tells us he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. In fact, he was moved to the point of tears. We might ask ourselves why, knowing what he was about to do, why would Jesus be so disturbed in spirit? And many explanations have been put forward. To me, the best explanation is that Jesus was sharing the grief of his friends caused by the death of Lazarus. Lazarus and the sisters were people he loved deeply, and he could relate to the pain in those who remained. He felt it himself. But additionally, Jesus may have been disturbed in the sense of being angry about the terrible consequences of sin that came into the world when Adam and Eve sinned. Death was the result of their sin, and Jesus is once more seeing its consequences play out with Lazarus. This doesn't mean Lazarus had sinned, but he lived in a sinful world full of death, and death had caught up to him. The consequences of sin would also soon play out in Jesus' own life. He will go to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. Jesus then asks where Lazarus has been laid, and they lead Jesus to the tomb, apparently weeping as he went. The mourners accompanying Jesus as they head to the tomb appear to join the sisters in complaining that Jesus, who had opened the eyes of the blind, could have saved Lazarus if he had just got there in time. We continue on with verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Tombs were usually just natural or man-made caves with a large stone rolled in the opening. When they arrived at the tomb, Jesus orders the stone to be rolled away. Martha appears to be aghast at his order. Her faith may have been wavering somewhat at this point. When Jesus issues the order, she reminds him the stench of the deceased will be overwhelming. But Jesus reminds her he said that if she believed, she would see the glory of God. So the sisters allow the stone to be rolled away, which was a major act of faith by them, given the circumstances. At this point, put yourselves in the shoes of the mourners and onlookers. Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. They know without doubt he is dead. They've been part of the mourning rituals. 
They then hear Jesus offer a prayer, asking not for God to give him the power to heal Lazarus, but saying he was offering this prayer for the benefit of those standing by, thanking his Father that he always hears him, and that what is about to happen will lead those standing by to believe in him. In other words, Jesus is publicly saying before it happens that what is about to happen should convince any and all that Jesus was sent by God to do the works he is doing. All standing around Jesus at this time must have been dumbfounded and in astounded disbelief. What could Jesus be planning to do? Well, there was no hocus-pocus, no magic. Jesus simply yells out, Lazarus, come out. In my imagination, I see nothing happening for 20 to 30 seconds as the dead man wakes up, tries to discern where he is and why he's wrapped in burial garments. It's dark in the tomb, but there is light coming in from where the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. Then he manages to get up and stumbles out of the tomb, still bound, hands and feet. The crowd issues a collective gasp as they see Lazarus, the man they knew beyond doubt to be dead, and here he is alive, still wrapped in his burial garments, walking under his own power out of the tomb and standing right in front of them. Jesus orders them to unbind Lazarus and let him go. They have just witnessed the most amazing miracle of Jesus' ministry. We continue on now with verses 45 through 57. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, What are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked about openly among the Jews, but went from there to a town called Ephraim in the region near the wilderness, And he remained there with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and were asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? Surely he will not come to the festival, will he? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should let them know so that they might arrest him. John tells us that many of the Jews believed after this miracle, but as always, some did not. Some of them went straight to the Pharisees and told them everything they had seen. So at this point, the Pharisees call a meeting of the council. And the council referred to is the Sanhedrin court. 
remember the Sanhedrin court had Pharisees, but probably had more Sadducees and priests in it than Pharisees. The Sadducees were a much more political group than were the Pharisees. And they were much more concerned about the political consequences with the Romans if Jesus kept doing deeds like this one. John explains in verses 47 through 48 what their concern was. And it was a legitimate concern. They feared that if Jesus continued to perform signs like raising Lazarus from the dead, all the people would soon follow Jesus. Their concern was not that they just become religious followers of Jesus, because the Romans usually allowed conquered peoples uh, to continue to worship their own gods, so long as it didn't create civil uprisings. But any civil uprising would be considered a revolt against the emperor, and it would be squashed brutally. Remember on several occasions earlier when Jesus had performed a miracle, the people were prepared to declare him king and to have him lead an uprising against the Romans. Uh, One example of this happened following the feeding of the 5,000, which we discussed earlier. Jesus would always slip away to avoid being crowned king. As he later told Pilate, his kingdom is not of this world. He did not come to throw the Romans out, but this is what the Sanhedrin feared might happen. After some debate about what to do, Caiaphas, the high priest, declares that it is better for one man to die for the people of the country than for the temple and the entire country to be destroyed. In making this statement, John points out that Caiaphas uh, was doing this on behalf of the country. Caiaphas also implicitly accepted the idea that all would soon follow Jesus if he continued performing miracles. He also implicitly accepted the argument that the followers of Jesus would eventually declare him king and lead an uprising against the Roman occupiers. Jesus, of course, never intended to lead a physical uprising against the Romans. He came to bring about a spiritual renewal that would not rebel against the Roman government having civil authority, but would declare Jesus king and Lord in the spiritual realm. But the Jewish leaders never understood this. In fact, they were never willing to even consider it. Again, John points out that in making his statement, Caiaphas, acting as the high priest, was not acting on his own, but was prophesying for the nation that one man, Jesus, would die for the country. Interestingly, the very thing that Caiaphas feared, the Romans brutally putting down an uprising by the Jews, eventually happened. In A.D. 70, Following a Jewish uprising, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem totally and drove all of the Jews out of the land. The Jews did not become a nation again until 1948 when the United Nations declared the state of Israel to be a sovereign nation. So the Sanhedrin court adopted Caiaphas' analysis of the situation and declared it was expedient for one man to die for the country. From that day forward, they planned to put Jesus to death. So although it will be some four to five weeks before Jesus is actually brought before the Sanhedrin court and tried by them, they have already decided the outcome of the trial. Jesus is, in effect, a convicted man to them. So why is this action by the Sanhedrin court so important? 
Earlier we read about various groups, primarily the Pharisees, attempting to arrest or kill Jesus. But none of those groups were acting as the highest Jewish authority in the land. When the issue came before the Sanhedrin earlier, Nicodemus reminded them they should not convict someone without hearing what the person had to say on his own behalf. Here the Sanhedrin, again the highest court in the land, has determined that Jesus should die. And they have convinced themselves that it's in the best interest of the company that he should die. As it turns out, Jesus did die for the country, as well as the rest of the world, but not in the way they understood it. Jesus knew he was a wanted man, and therefore left Bethany and went to a town called Ephraim, where he remained until the Passover. John tells us that as the Passover approached, many people arrived early in Jerusalem to be purified before Passover started as was the custom. At the top of the list of gossip items among those arriving early was the question of the day. Would Jesus come to the festival? Word of his miracles had spread widely, with the raising of Lazarus from the dead drawing the most attention. The Sanhedrin had issued orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should notify them so he could be arrested. The stage is now set. Emotions are running high. Jesus will soon make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to begin the most consequential week in human history. We'll pick up with the next lesson.